Uh, one adult, please. It's a single ticket podcast. So welcome along to episode four. Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, not bad, thanks. Good. I've seen you for ages. <laughs> we always seem to say that, but that's, that's literally not true at the moment, because it's just, uh, we're recording this on Christmas Eve, uh, meeting our uh, self-imposed deadline to actually record episode four before Christmas. Yeah. So welcome along to the Single Ticket Podcast. My name is Alan. Uh, my name is Anna. Um, and we are, if you haven't uh, understood the conceit by now, uh, we're a couple, um, but we don't often go to the movies um, as a couple. We tend to go independently because of childcare considerations. So, yeah. Yeah. That's us. That's us. That's us. Yeah. So, how have you been? Yeah, I've been all right. Yeah. So, obviously, run up to Christmas. The opportunities to go see films have been probably reducing due to shenanigans, um, to prepping for Christmas and everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we both managed to actually go out and see something, which is um, really cool. It is. It's really good, yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to, or a couple of things I wanted to point out. Uh, thank you to everybody who's um, reviewed us so positively, particularly on Apple Podcasts. That seems to be our biggest listener base at the moment. Um, every five-star review is, is always appreciated, and much like Uber... Um, it's five stars or nothing. So, uh, so yeah, thank you to everybody who's reviewed. Uh, what we'd really like people to do is, is uh, recommend it to a friend. So um, if, there's, if you've got friends out there who are interested in films um, and want to hear two people talking about them, um, please recommend away because it's, uh, we want to keep growing this channel and want to keep, uh, want to keep making uh, podcasts, don't we? We do, and every retweet on Twitter is welcomed as well. Yeah, as always, yeah, because we're... Uh, we don't have an extensive um, budget, obviously, no. i.e. no budget. So, so yeah, anything people can do to, to promote things, that would be fantastic. Yeah. And I'm running out of pithy things to say on Twitter <laughs> to, to, to um, promote it, so, yeah, please help. So, yeah, we are, we're, we're reliant on listeners to, uh, to to spread the word, to say the least. So, so yeah. But, yeah, um, well, yeah, we're in a pre-Christmas pre-Christmas vibe now. Yeah, I'm wearing a Christmas jumper. Yeah, I'm not, um, but that is my want. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Not that I'm not that I'm not Christmassy. Um, definitely I'm Christmassy, but uh, but yeah. So should we uh, should we move on and talk about some uh, some films? Yeah, let's do that. So I had a choice um, over the last couple of weeks uh, about what I wanted to see. It was a very limited choice given my um, time constraints and availability to go out. And I had two films to choose from, both of which dealt with uh, the breakdown of a marriage. So um, that's fun. Um, so the choice was between um, Marriage Story and La Belle Epoque. Yes. So I went for French Whimsy and went for La Belle Epoque. Um, if in doubt, go for French Whimsy. Yeah, the other one, you know, I'm sure it's a wonderful film, some great reviews, but my goodness, after 11 years of marriage, you don't want to be watching that, do you? <laughs> um, especially not on your own. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I went for... Uh, I, you, know, you know me, I like French cinema anyway, so yes. I think it was an inevitable choice. And also it was a chance to go to um, the High Park Picture House uh, yeah. to watch it as well, which is lovely. It's, it's always a lovely place to watch films, as, as we've already said before. Yeah. Um, so that's what I did um, last Sunday afternoon. Yeah. I went along, and I love going to see films in the afternoon as well. I was going to say Sunday afternoons. There's always something special about watching a film, yeah, isn't it? Absolutely. It kind of yeah. reminds you of seeing things um, at home, isn't it? Kind of watching things on the TV yes. on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, you come out of the cinema and it's kind of a bit dusky, and yeah, it's it's really magical actually. 
kind of fitted in with the film actually it was okay. kind of um, which obviously I'll talk about but um, shall I crack on with talking about La Belle Epoque yeah let, let, let's um, let's fill people in with a little bit of a synopsis about what the film's about okay so it's a French film um, from Nicolas Bedos I think I've pronounced that right I'll do um, so written and directed by him um, it stars Daniel O'Teal as Victor who's a man whose marriage is on the rocks um, I'd say he's in his older middle age, it's not quite clear how old he is, but he's got a big beard which which signifies to me that he's having a bit of a midlife crisis But it's also, yeah, I'm going to say it's also a sign that, that not apparently not all is well if you have a big beard Yeah, that's and right Somebody having had big beards in the not too distant past <laughs> It's obviously one of, it's, it's one of those signs that maybe not all is right with the world. Maybe yeah, I'm not, just checking the length of your beard right now and it seems fine. It's, all right, so, I don't know. it's just it's, okay. it's, it's not much beyond stubble. Yeah, so yeah, so Victor um, is married to uh, Marianne, um, and she's pretty sick of him to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're they're on their kind of stagnant marriage. It really isn't working. He's he's actually physically not working himself. He's a cartoonist, but he's not really doing much at the minute. She's a very successful career woman as a psychotherapist. Uh, yeah, she's she's sick of him basically, and she uh, throws him out. Um, he's quite depressed, um, and that doesn't help either. She's having an affair um, with the guy that sacked him from his last job, um, <laughs> in that very French way. I was going to say that is very French, isn't it? It is, it's yeah, style. yeah. So yeah, she had enough of him. Throws him out. Um, he doesn't know what to do with himself. So theirs is a kind of typical uh, middle-class French marriage. It's all constant dinner parties with uh, other couples, driving home in the rain, um, going to their jobs in fancy glass offices. You know, It's that kind of <laughs> a t- unattainable lifestyle that seems to just be prevalent in, in films set in Paris. Do you, do you think it is? Do you think there is like a, a, a level of society that is like that, though? In, in in France rather than it being because I think we probably have that same thing when um, when a British atmosphere is tried is tried to be conveyed across screen a lot of the times we think well that doesn't feel very yeah. realistic does yeah. it so do, but do you, do you think that do you think the eyes actually a, there's an element of reality to yeah it? I would say so I think it's a life that that people do have out there and I'm think you know I think of a lot of French films um, where you see that kind of life where that, that's what they do for their social lives. Conversation around a dinner table is a massive part of French society, particularly in the higher society. Um, yeah, I think that, that you know, it's it's a reflection perhaps of, of, a, of a, a middle class that, that kind of exists there. I'm trying to think, you know, I, I can't remember the name of the film now, which is, which is terrible for someone to talk about films, but the one with the real shock, uh, the Hanukkah film, which I can't remember the name of. Hidden. Hidden, yeah. So that is that kind of um, lifestyle, those kind of people, and they're absolutely rocked to their core by something that happens in that film. I think, you know, Hanukkah is pointing out a, a, a middle class that does exist yes. in that and many of his other films as well. Yeah, and obviously it's a great um, mechanism for driving a story forward, isn't it? Because you don't have to... You're not faking conversations to push a story forward like you sometimes have to do in a film. Mm. If you're setting it in a in a dinner party context, it's more natural that a conversation would happen. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, French cinema, essentially, there is a lot of conversation 
it's based around that it's around um something quite different i'll come on to that as well because i've been doing some thinking about kind of french cinema after seeing this film but yeah so yeah get back to the story yeah so the yeah victor and his big beard don't know what to do during one of their dinner parties um where their, their son is in his 20s he's supposed to be in his mid-20s but he looks about 35 to me um he works in tv and he's got a mate who does this kind of weird um kind of immersive theatre experience thing where people can pay a shed load of money and experience whatever they want in a period of their choosing so we see this guy this uh, this friend of the sons um setting up for like a you know um marie antoinette type thing or you know it's kind of you, you basically throw your money at it and you can do whatever you want and be who you want it's like to a be fantasy indulgement yeah again yeah. for the rich <clears throat> people yeah um so he's kind of working doing that for reasons that become clear through the film he uh, gives Victor an envelope um, containing basically um, an invite to to come and do his own immersive experience. Obviously, he's got nothing else to do, having um, been thrown out. So he goes and he does that, and he chooses to go back to 1974 in Lyon, um, a really specific time, and it's when he met the love of his life, uh, Marianne, in a bar in Lyon when um, he was guessing his mid twenties. So yeah, he goes, and he, you know that world is built for him. He he gives in some you know evidence to them about what he did and some information, and they basically build this um, this world on set for him to then visit and take part in. Yeah, um, which is really interesting. Yeah, it's like well, as you say, it, it is a it is a fantasy, isn't it? And it's yeah. a that in of itself is you know it raises questions about well who's whose fantasy is it that's actually yeah. at play here yeah and he goes back to a time in his own life he doesn't choose something completely you know historical or something you know you you never obviously would have experienced he goes to something he experienced himself in order to relive those feelings of being completely happy yes um which because is he's not now yes exactly yeah. um but he's fully aware of it, you know, he fully knows the pretense of it, but yet he still um, becomes immersed in it and a little bit too immersed without giving the, the plot away. Yeah. There's a side plot as well, um, including the guy who's running this immersive theatre thing and one of the actors um, taking part in the production. Um, kind of a nice little subplot around them and their relationship kind of playing around at the same time. So, yeah, so, he, he, you know, Victor goes back to see, you know, the happiest moment of his life. Um, to experience that again, but you know, I think we're you know we we think about whether that actually will affect his present, and he's there to experience it, not to change it. So it's not like a sliding doors moment, you know. Yeah. Um, it's about being in the moment, not changing the outcome. Yeah, it's not a it's a desire to experience it yet again. Yeah, and you know, I, I thought about that after the film about you know what would I go back to to experience again? You know, what moment would it be? And I have a tendency to often think, what, what if? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a backwards-looking person sometimes and mm-hmm. kind of re- a reflective person. Yeah. And for me, this would be incredibly dangerous because <laughs> I would go back and think, oh, well, what if I'd done this differently and all that kind of thing. Um, you know, there's many moments I could kind of revisit. I was thinking about when we met and um, our first kiss. Yeah. I might change the fact that it was outside Bradford Interchange uh, station, yeah. maybe, um, but you know I wouldn't change that moment um, itself if that makes sense. Yeah, but it's all part of it though, isn't it? Because it's the whole thing about the the setting and how that had kind of come about. It's it's, it's an intimate part of it as, as far as I'm concerned, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. You know, if you transpose that to somewhere that's more traditionally romantic, it wouldn't. You yeah. know, there's not you're not necessarily 
would have worked in the same way. I wouldn't no, have had the same effects and all that kind of thing. And these things are all. And I guess this is what this film's playing with, isn't it? Yeah. It's this thing about his kind of era was uh, the seventies. You yes. said, yes, yeah, seventy so, four. He went back to. So, so you know that, that that's that was a, a time for him, wasn't it? So obviously it varies person to person, doesn't it? Everyone has. You know, people talk about having their, you know, their favorite year in music, and mm. they tend to stick with their favorite year in music type yeah. thing, don't yeah, they? Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, becomes like so. If your year is nine, you know, my my case it's ninety six, ninety seven. Yeah. So that's really what I kind of remember. Yeah. So I'm very aware of those artists from that period. Yeah. Much less so of anything from outside of that. Absolutely, and I'm obviously, you know, as 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 I established on our first case outside Bradford Interchange Station. I'm a little bit older than you. A little bit. And, um, you know, my moment would probably be 95 and yeah. uh, the, the um, emergence of Britpop and all that. And it's like, yeah, that would be the thing, go to university and all that kind of thing. And, yeah, you, 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 that's what you see, isn't it? When you close your eyes and think about when were you happiest, it's around that age group probably, you yeah. know? Yeah, because that's when you, it really means something. First Absolutely moments of means freedom, everything. isn't it, as well? Yes, yeah. yeah, and it means so much to you. That it really kind of sits there in your mind, and yeah, it's really evocative. Mm. Um, you know, I wasn't around in the seventies, but I can understand someone watching, you know, that on film will think, yeah, you know, that that was great. Mm. My mum is always talking about the sixties in Liverpool, and you know, it's kind of yeah, it's that thing, isn't it? It's that formative experience. Yes. For yeah. him, it was around finding love as well. Yes, of course. But not necessarily, you know, it could be friendship or it could be anything really. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it raised some really interesting questions. Um, as a film, it was very um, light and fluffy. Yes. Very whimsical. You know, it wasn't a serious film, but it was a, a, a well-made film. I really enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. And it was um, really high production values. It's a, it's a fantasy, you know, but it was beautiful. It was lush and kind of lovely to look at. And it was... Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of uh, emphasised the the high production values of French cinema. Actually, okay, um, you know they they really are a, a class act. I think when it comes to to film, and I think that was evident on screen. It might not be the most serious of films, um, and some reviews have been a bit mixed. Yeah, um, but I think it depends on whether you can really embrace that kind of whimsical yes. feeling about it. You know, it was more Amelie than Rust and Bone, put it that way. Yeah. One thing we talked about before you went was about you weren't sure about seeing Daniel Artiel with a beard and oh, looking yeah. old. Um, yeah. So do you, want, yeah. Do, you want, do you want to comment on that particular? Okay, well, when he goes back in time, I mean, I have to admit, when he first appears on screen, he's looking a bit rough. And for <laughs> someone of my generation, or maybe a bit older, um, who's been watching uh, European cinema for, for a number of years, Daniel Artiel is someone you will have seen on screen as a young man, yeah. uh, looking very handsome. Um, I'm thinking of Encore and Eva um, in particular, um, okay. which is a film from the early 90s where he, he's, he's looking pretty hot. Um, you know, he's, he's very much a romantic actor, very, you know, handsome actor. Yes. To see him looking like an old man, it was really <laughs> quite disconcerting at first. But then when he shaves the beard off, um, when he goes back, I'm not giving, giving much away by saying he shaves his beard off to go back to 1974. He looks a lot better, you know. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Kinda, um, he's still, you know, he's still a, a dashing older man. Well, I'm, I'm sure he had to play up the, the scruffiness, didn't yeah, he? Just, yeah, just the just un- unkempt look and the unironed shirt. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, he's, he's doing that, that thing, creating that kind of image. Um, but when he puts on his 70s suit, he looks um, a lot more handsome. <laughs> <laughs> so so this is a recommendation then? Yeah, definitely. Um Yes, I would say so. If if you're happy to uh, suspend your disbelief. Okay, so it's a recommendation with some provisors. Yeah. You've got to be in the right place to go see it. I think so. I think so. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it's um yeah, it's a great example of um a decent French film. I was looking at some stats about a French film as well. Okay. Are we having a stat round? Now? We're having a stat round. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, so French cinema, you know, is 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 thriving. I think a lot of people, um, you know, we're over here. We only really see the tip of the iceberg in terms of French output. Yes, we do, obviously. Um, there's so much more um, that's made over there. They have a really strong um, cinematic tradition, but equally they have a really strong uh, film industry as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I did look at some some stats. So in uh, 2018, 258 films were produced in France. Paris has the highest density of cinemas in the world. Um, and going to see a film in the cinema is a really big thing, and I think that's one of the things that really um, comes across with um, the success of French cinema is that people go and see them in the cinema. And I found out that there's actually like a, a ban on releasing films on DVD for a certain amount of time yeah. to encourage um, people to go see them in the cinema for longer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a thriving domestic um, market. Um, and I didn't write down the percentages, but you know, French domestic cinema is there's higher numbers of films on screen mm. um, than there is in other countries. So yeah. we well, produce a lot of films over here, but we don't always show them in the cinemas. No, they do operate a quota system, though, don't they? They do. Yeah, they do. Um, in terms of French language, yes, films. Yeah, and it's supported by the government as well. You know, there's government initiatives to encourage that. So like the DVD thing, mm. but also the tax breaks as well. Um, Which we do as well, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. But it's um, it's almost self-sufficient in terms of its output, um, you know, its cost versus uh, revenue domestically. Which it definitely isn't here. No, exactly. Um, it really makes a difference. And, you know, that, that government um, support for the film industry, I think, really makes a difference and makes it um, very strong. Yeah, it's, it's strong in terms of um, exports as well. It's one of the things that we... Sharing a language with, you know, one of the biggest producers of films in terms of Hollywood is... It's a blessing and a curse in terms of the the quality of some of the products that we get over here, but it also mm. means that you know the, the, the distinctness of a British voice isn't necessarily as obvious as the distinctness of a of a French cultural mm. voice. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, that that kind of determination to to make it a domestic success, I think, is really important. I mean, we are you know for every um, you know kind of Downton Abbey or whatever, and you know. Six lives of potato men that you know, the, which used to be the thing that people used to trot out about national lottery funding. Yes, the film over here. Yes, um, you know, France. I'm sure has its own sex lives of potato men oh, type output. We just don't see it because we only get the the cream of the, the yeah. We we, crop, we, don't we? we we're, we're all probably only seeing the top five. Maybe ten percent of, yeah. of the quality of the films. You said there's like two hundred and fifty made. Two hundred and fifty eight in um, twenty eighteen, which is the last um, yeah. year I could find. So, so we might see ten percent of that, maybe. Yes. You, we might see twenty five. Yeah. Films, maybe. Maybe if 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 with a following wind, yeah. Yeah, um, but you know we've been over to France and you see the posters everywhere of yeah, films yeah, that yeah. are out, and you know there's um, a really rich um, cinematic tradition there. You know from the French New Wave onwards, and you know. Um, most of my most of my DVD collection is probably French. I would say, you yeah, know, a strong it, it percentage of it. Is quite, um, yeah, it has, yeah, features quite heavily. It does. My favourite director, uh, Jacques Odiard, is is French. Um, you know, it, it's a big thing. So when I see a, a French film released at the cinema, I'm more likely to go and see it. Um, what I'd love to see is more people doing that, and you know, and having that opportunity to see them. Yeah, this is quite a mainstream film. You know, I don't, but I don't know what cinemas it was on at. No, whether it was on at your views and your audience or whatever, I don't know because I didn't look. Um, into seeing it there no but hopefully it was uh, it, it would be great to kind of see more uh, european cinema in, in you know in, in our in our in our cinemas yes indeed yeah it, it was a lovely uh, escapist kind of film and i would i would recommend it getting back to the point as a piece of escapism yeah, absolutely yeah yeah Brilliant. and i'm glad i didn't go see marriage story
<laughs> this sounds like the lighter choice. Yes. I went to see uh, something slightly different. Yeah. Um, something that's had quite a lot of uh, critical acclaim. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to see Knives Out. Yes, and I am very jealous that you got to see this <laughs> film because I really wanted to see it. Yeah, um, and I will. I would say, um, hopefully, it'll be on for a bit longer. You've got to go see this film. Yeah. Um, a lot of buzz about it, um, but completely justified from my point of view. Um, so yes, I also went to see this at Hyde Park. Uh, it might be the last thing I see before they close for the refurbishment. We'll see. Um, I don't exactly know when it closes in January. But yeah, so Knives Out um, is uh, written, produced and directed by Ryan Johnson of The Last Jedi fame. Quite a change of pace from massive blockbuster that was. And it's interesting that he had such a pivotal role in this film. Okay. What do you do after you've been part of such a big film? What do as a director? What do you do after that? Yeah. And he seems to have paired it right back and gone back to a quite a classical style. I yeah, would say. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So so this so Knives Out is a is a classic Who Done It. Before the film even starts, you get a, a Hitchcockian style warning from the director not to give away. Um, any spoilers about the plot, so that uh, that will definitely not be happening here. So therefore, I won't talk massively about the plot. Okay. The only thing I'll say at this point is that um, so it's based around uh, the crime novelist Howland Thromby, um, who invites his family to his mansion um, for his 85th birthday party. Howland is the victim of this piece um, in that he is found the next morning. Um, apparently having slit his own throat. <laughs> okay. Uh, which is a very uh, classical way of doing it. I mean, um, no one wants the family coming back, but that's uh, taking it quite that's, far. That's quite, that's quite an extreme reaction, isn't it? So, yeah, so so, so we join uh, the story when the police are investigating, um, <clears throat> plus we see the arrival of a mysterious private detective, uh, Benoit Blanc. <laughs> Alliterative name, yeah. always great, fantastic name. <laughs> Um, and absolutely brilliantly played here by Daniel Craig. Right, okay. Now, he's definitely had, he's shown this southern um, accent that the actor, that the kind of character has before, and I can't remember what the film is oh, called. Okay. I think that was also a caper type film as well. But yeah, so obviously, uh, I'm assuming Johnson's seen him play in this way, and it's it's a bit foghorn like on. Okay. And it's style, my boy. Um, but it's it's great fun and it really plays into the style of the film and the, okay. and, the and Benoit Blanc's character. Yeah. So he's got elements of so there's elements of Inspector Clouseau about him as well. Yeah. In that kind of slightly bumbling style. Okay. Or maybe uh, what's his name in Green for Danger, which we saw um, not so long ago. Uh, um, Alistair Sims' yeah. character. Yes. Yes. I can't remember that character's name, but yes, that kind of um, and it's a bit Columbo-ish. You know, yeah, the, the kind oh, of the, oh, can you tell me about, you know, that kind yeah, of deliberate yeah, yeah. mistakes or um, lots of things going on um, under the surface that, that you're not necessarily aware of at the start. But yeah, so Daniel Craig is, is fantastic in this, great fun. Um, yeah, I mean, there's actually a reference during the um, early parts of the film to to the board game Clue or Cluedo as we'd mm, know it. Yeah. And it has, you can see it from the film poster, there's something about the colours of the oh, characters. Okay. Oh, interesting. They're not. Um, archetypal, they're not used continually. You know, mm. one person isn't in red all the way through it, but it has that kind of the colours are quite vivid and quite bright. Okay. And the contrast between the different characters. Right. Um, 
So, as I say, without giving away too much about the actual plot itself, um, it's a whodunit, um, mm -hmm. and, it, and it turns out that actually, um, through the twists and turns of the plot, almost everybody within the house at the party mm -hmm. had, an, had a reason for bumping him off. Right. Basically, uh, so he's very successful as a crime novelist, um, you know, it's a huge house, making lots of money, um, and uh, everyone in the house is reliant on him to some, ex some extent or another mm. for their well-being. Um, financially, right. Um, so they all ultimately have a reason to um, uh, to not have him around anymore, <laughs> um, and that's basically what the uh, what the crux of the film is all yeah. about. Really, yeah. it's that um, it's the twists and turns about um, that investigation. Um, in addition to to Daniel Craig. Obviously, it's quite an ensemble piece. Yeah, There's lots yeah, of great that, actors I saw a trailer it. for it, and yeah, that was the feeling that comes from it. Yeah, yeah. So, so the, 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 there are, um, you know, Don Johnson's really good in it. <laughs> Jimmy Lee Curtis is really good in it. Uh, Chris Evans, not that one, is also really good in it. But lots of great yeah. performances within it. My personal favorite is Michael Shannon, who's playing um, Harlan's youngest son, Walt. Okay. Um, you and I are both quite fans of Michael Shannon. Yeah, yeah definitely. His performance in Boardwalk Empire, yeah, yeah. Um, a really interesting actor. Um, there's a similarity here in that he seems to be, there's this kind of this struggle to kind of keep a lid on his emotions. Right, okay. He's, he's kind of, you know... Kind of pent up, kind of... Yeah, literally trembling at times with kind of what's what's going on internally, which is I, I thought was a fantastic performance from Shannon, really, really, really good. There's an interesting side note to it that, um, so so his, um, uh, so Hallen's... Um, nurse uh, Marta um, who is interestingly um, we never find out actually where she's from okay um, we think we, it's it's um, South America but they keep um, referring to um, different countries where she's from <laughs> it's this kind of thing about uh, it's clear that she she's a recent arrival or a, a recent immigrant and there's a lot of interplay about the um, they treat her as if she's part of the family yeah uh, but actually, they have no idea about who she is. Yeah. They treat her very much as the help and all that oh, kind of right, thing. Okay. And the interplay between her as a character and the family is a crucial part of the actual um, of the story. Um, she has this uh, this funny quirk that she can't uh, she can't lie. If she lies, she she vomits. <laughs> right. Okay. And and it's this mom it's this motif that goes through the film about is she lying? Is she, you know and, and you know how how she um, sort of hides the the need to vomit and um, what she does with that and how she'll kind of what she'll say to mean that she doesn't vomit because she's telling the truth but is it all of the truth or part of the truth really fascinating kind of addition to the story that you don't necessarily need but mm. is, is there um a nice little side note actually um so uh, I say Marta is from South America uh, her mum uh, there's there's a story that her mum has arrived illegally within the country right um, so her mum only speaks Spanish or speaks a little English but um, predominantly more comfortable in Spanish and there's this little clip where her mum is watching um, Murder She Wrote in, <laughs> in Spanish and also that, so there's, there's that kind of Murder She Wrote yeah, kind of element yeah, of course, to this film yeah. as well the observer kind of coming in and yeah, yeah, yeah. completely and you know I, there's no way that that's accidental let's put it that way you know he uh, ryan johnson knew exactly what he was yeah. doing by putting that little clip in in summary it's an absolute caper of a film yeah lots of twists and turns the, the danger is if, if you say too much about the plot you'll give away something right. crucial yeah, yeah, course, yeah. um the crucial thing is that that it's a whodunit um it's quite long for a film of this style it's it's, it's over two hours yeah 
but it absolutely whizzes by. Right. Okay. You you don't feel the the, yeah. the passing of the time at all. You 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 come in towards the the crescendo of the film before you know it. Yeah. Um, which is a always a sign of quality for me if you can. If you can be absorbed for a film for more than kind of ninety minutes, mm, as it gets yeah, towards yeah. two hours, because everyone know, everyone knows the best films are ninety minutes long. Films should be ninety minutes long, people. That's that's just a fact of life. But actually, I can understand because of the complexity of the story how yeah. this you need that extra extended time. to be yeah. to be that long because there is a lot of threads that yeah, that interweave. Yeah, yeah, you have to do, and yeah, as I said, it, it whizzed by, and I didn't feel. Um, I didn't feel that the, the the information was dragging or anything like that. It, it allowed the story to, to, to breathe. Yeah. So, yeah. That sounds really, really good. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not at all jealous of the fact <laughs> you've seen it. Um, hopefully it'll still be in the cinemas after Christmas so yeah. I can go along. Because, um, yeah, based on that, you know, having seen the trailer and thought that looks really interesting, I really want to see it now. Yes. And as you know, I love a film about an awkward family reunion, <laughs> um, having written a piece about it for oh, the BFI uh, not so long ago. Uh, still there on the BFI website, people, if you want to check it out. Um, Ten films about awkward family reunions. This would, sounds like it would fit in perfectly. It would fit in there perfectly. Yeah. You know, it's particularly awkward when you end up with a murder. But, well, yeah, but, there is yeah. that, I guess. But e- even outside of that, the fact the dynamics between the different members of the family are interesting in of themselves. Yes. Um, you know, there's elements of politics in it. There's elements of privilege yeah. and underprivilege, and it says something about the current society that we live in in terms of people being influencers and and that oh, kind of okay. thing. It's got it's got a lot to say about. About things that are in that are in a in a in a broader kind of um, plot of a of a, yeah. of a whodunit story. Yeah, yeah. So it it's very uh, absorbing as a film, yeah. and I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Good, I'm glad. Um, yeah, how many stars? Um, well, it's a five star for me. Yeah. It's right up there. Okay. I think I think I think it's it's very very good, and it um, it thoroughly deserves the plaudits it's been getting. Yeah, sounds like a lot of fun as well. It is a fun film. Yeah. It's fun. There's lots of laugh out loud moments. Yeah. Um, with kind of interplay of characters and. Yeah. You know, sick is always funny. So. Oh, of course it is. Everyone <laughs> loves a bit of vomit. Um, but yeah, there's there's lots of other. Um, the audience sees things before the characters see things, right, okay. which is always funny. Yeah, when yeah. you when you let the audience see something. Yeah. That's always funny for me. Yeah. Because you get that good, that that you know that murmuration of giggling that kind of comes up from the, from the audience um, before the characters see it, which is always it's always, it's always great for me. That yeah. But yeah, highly recommended. Excellent. So. Yeah. That's the end of episode four. Oh, I better go wrap your Christmas presents then, hadn't I? The real question is, am I going to get this, considering it's now three o'clock on Christmas Eve, am I going to get this out before Christmas arrives? Yeah, but who does a podcast on Christmas Eve? You know. Well, I'm kind of thinking... Are we setting ourselves up for disaster here? I'm kind of thinking that it might be good for people who are bored of their families and desperately oh, want to get away point. from them. Oh, Yeah, get it out quick then. Get it out quick and then yeah. it might, might be something for people to listen to. Yeah. When, or when maybe people travelling home. Maybe, yeah. Know, after after the Christmas dinner. Anyway, if it's not if it's not done before Christmas, it'll be out on Boxing Day, guys. So yeah. uh, so you'll know that before we do. But um, but yeah. So so yeah. Thank you for everyone for joining us. And um, yeah, we'll be back again in the new year, no yeah. doubt. Yeah. To talk about more films Absolutely. that we like. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Wishing you all a happy Christmas. Merry Christmas and a happy new year and all that. 
Single Ticket is proudly made with Anchor. You can visit the show at anchor.fm slash single dash ticket where you can listen to all our episodes. Uh, the podcast is also available on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and lots more podcast players.